The following sermon is by Boyd Johnson, pastor of Treasuring Christ Church in Athens, Georgia. More information about Treasuring Christ Church can be found at tccathens.org. We're living in an extraordinary time in American history, and no one knows for sure what's to come except God. One way or another, I think we all sense that to live publicly as a Christian while holding to biblical truths will only become more difficult. We don't need to read the news to foresee that dark days are ahead. We only need to read our Bibles. We know from 2 Corinthians that Satan is, quote, the God of this world, lowercase g. And we know from Revelation that that won't change until Christ returns. And we know from Paul that evil men grow worse and worse. So we should anticipate that we as Christians will suffer in this world. How then are we to suffer in this world? How will we live for Christ in a world opposed to Christ? Well, the Apostle Peter, who lived in a time similar to our own, answered these questions in his first letter to the churches in Asia Minor, 1 Peter. He wrote 1 Peter to a group of believers who were suffering because of their allegiance to Jesus Christ. As Christians living in the Roman Empire, they were cultural outsiders, outcasts, despised, and especially during this time, subjected to persecution. So Peter wrote to them, in order to help them suffer well as Christians. Listen to what he wrote in 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. And hear this as God's words to you during this time. Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? 
Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Beloved, suffering is coming. I don't know how, I don't know when, but I know that suffering is coming for you as a Christian. And so how should you respond to suffering as Christians? Well, in this passage, Peter gives us four ways we must respond to suffering as Christians. First, we must respond to suffering by expecting it. We must expect suffering. He writes in verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised, he cautions. As though something strange were happening. Suffering as a Christian should not catch you off guard, but should be expected. That is, suffering for a Christian is normal. It's the normal Christian life, one of suffering. It isn't strange, he says. Now, the word Peter uses for strange is related to the Greek word for foreigner. In other words, suffering is not foreign to Christians. Now, to be sure, everyone in this world, Christian or not, experiences suffering because we live in a fallen world. That's true whether you're a believer or not a believer. You'll suffer in this world because it's fallen. But there is a kind of suffering that is unique to Christians. There's a kind of suffering that the rest of the world does not experience, but that is the normal experience for Christians. The kind of suffering we should expect as Christians is suffering in the path of obedience to God. If you follow Christ faithfully, you will suffer. If you walk the faithful path of obedience to God as a Christian, you will suffer. And the kinds of suffering you'll experience are as varied as the paths of obedience we individually travel. Your kind of suffering may not be the same suffering as the person who's sitting next to you. There'll be a varieties of kinds of suffering. If you welcome someone to church and afterward get sick, that's a kind of suffering that is a Christian suffering. It's a suffering in obedience to the command from Romans 15, welcome one another. If you don't do that, you disobey. So walking the path of obedience, of welcoming one another, whether it's at the door or at the children's ministry, and you get sick, it's a kind of suffering that's contemplated here in First Peter. 
Likewise, if you take the gospel to a group of people who don't want you there and they seize you and kill you, that's another kind of suffering that is Christian suffering. It's suffering in obedience to the command, go and make disciples of all nations. All suffering in obedience to God as you follow Christ faithfully is uniquely Christian suffering. If you seek to obey the commands of Jesus, you'll suffer in ways that the world will not suffer. Your suffering will be more because you'll have all the suffering that comes from living in a fallen world, but you also have the suffering that comes from following the one who suffered for us on the cross. And all this unique Christian suffering is normal. None of it is strange. Do you know what is strange? What is surprising? Those who claim to know Christ, but don't suffer as Christians. Oh, sure, they suffer the same suffering that we all have in the world. But those who claim to know Christ, but don't suffer as a Christian. That's strange. That's not normal. To live as a Christian, remember what Jesus said in Luke 9.23, to live as a Christian is to deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow after Him. That's not stage two Christianity. That's Christianity. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. To deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow Christ. Where? To Golgotha. Those who claim Christ and never suffer as Christ followers are simply not following Christ. They betray their profession of Christ. But for those who faithfully follow Christ, suffering is inevitable because animosity is inevitable. Remember what Jesus said in John 15, 20. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Now, animosity comes in many forms. It may come in the form of persecution. But it can also come in more subtle ways. Being made fun of as a Christian. Being rejected. Being passed over for the job. Being unfriended. Being gossiped about. Being lied about and so on. Animosity comes in many forms. In whatever its form, animosity will come against those who are faithful to Christ. And we should expect it will only continue throughout our lifetimes. American Christians have lived in a strange land where we've experienced relatively little suffering for confessing Christ. But now we've all witnessed the turning of the cultural tides. A new morality holds sway that is fundamentally opposed to biblical teaching. 
This new morality demands not simply that you tolerate their sin and their idols, but that you affirm their sin and their idols. Before, it may have been possible to stay silent and the world would accept you. But no more. Now you must state your allegiance when confronted. Are you a Christian? They ask. We're at the point now that every professing Christian must either publicly bow their knee to Jesus or bow their knee to the new morality. And if you don't worship their idols, eventually you will suffer for it. You will be the sacrifice to their idols. But God has a purpose in these trials. Again, in verse 12, Peter writes that the fiery trial comes upon you to test you. These words, fiery trial and test, first appear in chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Look there with me. Peter says, in this, he's talking about salvation, in this salvation you rejoice. Chapter 1, verse 6. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here Peter's using an illustration of metal being heated by a fire in order to burn away the impurities so that What's left is a more precious metal. In other words, he's saying that one of God's purposes in the various trials of many kinds that you have in life, one of God's purposes in allowing these trials to come into our lives is to purify our faith. God counts your faith more precious than gold. So how much more will God bring trials into your life in order to purify your faith? He cares so much about you and cares so much about your faith that he will try your faith in the furnace of affliction in order to purify your faith. That's an act of care from God. It's an act of love. That he brings trials into your life. So don't begrudge your suffering. These light and momentary afflictions are preparing for you an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. The first way then we must respond to suffering is to accept it and expect it. Secondly, we must rejoice in suffering. We must rejoice. In suffering. Continuing in verses 13 and 14, Peter writes, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. 
Now notice here that the command is to rejoice. Commanding happiness in suffering. And the verb is in the present tense. Which indicates here that we're to continue on rejoicing even if the hostility continues, even if the hostility intensifies. The fundamental disposition of a Christian, even while sorrowful, is rejoicing. It says, insofar as you share in Christ's suffering, you are to rejoice. As the suffering increases, the joy in the suffering should increase. It is if your suffering is due, due to walking the path of obedience to Christ, whether it's a sickness because you served in the children's ministry or somebody's after your life. If your suffering is due to walking the path of obedience to Christ, then you have something to be happy about because you are suffering for doing right in God's sight. It's not easy to rejoice when others hate you. In fact, to do it as Peter here commands is impossible without the Spirit's help. But we're not left without hope either. In verse 13, Peter reminds us that even when we suffer, we have the hope of seeing Christ. He writes, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. The reason you can rejoice now, even while you suffer, is that you'll have the greater joy of seeing Christ when He returns in all His glory. The idea here is that your suffering in the cause of Christ confirms that you truly are Christ's. Your suffering in the path of obedience means that the path leads to your Savior. The hostility you endure now because of your allegiance to Christ gives evidence that you're His. So be glad while you suffer because, dear Christian, your joy will only be magnified when your faith becomes sight and you see Him. And not only do we have the future hope of seeing Christ, but we also have the present hope of the Holy Spirit. Verse 14, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. You have what the world does not have. You have the Holy Spirit who is himself God. If you're ridiculed for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Why? Because the spirit of glory The Holy Spirit rests upon you. That is to say that the Holy Spirit is on you to provide you help in the hour of need. He helps us in our weaknesses. He comes to our aid. And He'll help you just as He helped Stephen in Acts chapter 6 and 7. Multiple times. It's like a refrain in those chapters. Stephen is described as one who has the Holy Spirit. When Stephen was persecuted at the hands of the Jews, we're told that the Spirit 
gave him words to say and upheld him until he breathed his last. And if the Spirit helps Stephen in that excruciating hour, he'll help you to stand up to whatever kind of animosity you face because you publicly profess Christ. He'll help you. So because of our future hope of seeing Christ and our present hope of the Spirit's help, we can rejoice in suffering. Third, we must respond to suffering by evaluating the cause of our suffering. When we suffer at the hands of others, we ought to pause and consider the reason why we are suffering in the first place. And Peter indicates that there are two reasons why we might be suffering. First, we might be suffering because of our unrighteousness. Verse 15, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Don't suffer like that. Don't suffer because you've done those things. Now that sounds like an odd warning to believers. Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief. Were these terrible crimes really a temptation within these churches? Were any of them motivated to commit murder and theft? Well, perhaps so. When you consider the horrible persecution believers suffered under the reign of the Roman Emperor Nero. Maybe some professing Christians in the churches of Asia Minor were so enraged by their treatment at the hands of the Roman authorities and their government that they plotted revenge in their hearts and were ready to take up arms in insurrection. Maybe. But it's also possible that Peter is making a rhetorical point by starting at the extremes. Obviously, a true Christian wouldn't want to suffer for something as unrighteous as murder or theft. But neither should we suffer for lesser deeds of unrighteousness as evildoers or meddlers. An evildoer is simply someone who does any kind of wrongdoing. It's just a general term. And a meddler is a busybody who gets into the affairs of others with the purpose of stirring things up. We shouldn't be surprised that unbelievers would respond to insults and threats and outright attacks with murder and theft or wrongdoing or meddling. These are not the ways believers should act. We're not to act like unbelievers when we're mistreated. We're not to react to suffering and hostility in any way that would result in us sinning and doing wrong. However you respond to suffering shouldn't be like an unbeliever, shouldn't be in sin, shouldn't be in unrighteousness. So whenever we suffer at the hands of others, we ought to evaluate the cause of our suffering. Because in our sinfulness, we might label our suffering as persecution, when really we're suffering because of our own sin. 
they might be enraged at you because you're unkind. Not because you name the name of Christ. Rather, if you suffer, be sure to suffer for righteousness. He says in verse 16, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. There is a kind of suffering that is beautiful to God. It's a suffering for righteousness sake. It's to suffer as one whose identity is in Christ and as one who seeks to glorify God. If this is the way and the reason for your suffering, Peter says, don't be ashamed that you suffer as if you've done something wrong because you haven't. Don't be ashamed. Shame will silence you. It'll make you want to hide your face. Make you want to close your mouth. And that's what insults and rejection and abuse could do to you. You'd want to hide your face and close your mouth. But Christian, there is nothing shameful about your faith. So don't hide and don't be silent. The devil and his followers want to shame you into silence and invisibility. They'll insult you, belittle you, tell you you're on the wrong side of history, call you a bigot, unintelligent, unsophisticated, immoral. All of this is a scheme of the devil to enslave you to shame. How will you respond when these things happen to you? Will you respond with silence? Will you respond with anger? Silence, anger, Satan will take either one. To get you to stop talking about the gospel and God's truth or to make you so angry you lose your witness, he wants you silent or angry but not holy. He loses if you're holy. He wins if you go silent or get angry. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. To glorify God is to go public with how much you value Him. Your suffering is your greatest opportunity as a witness. To be as Paul was, Suffering yet always rejoicing confounds the critics. So don't be silenced. Don't be angry. Go public with the one you treasure in holiness. Finally, when we suffer, we must entrust our suffering to God. We must entrust our suffering to God. Jump down to verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will Entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. As we suffer, we are to entrust our souls to God. Entrust is a banker's term. 
referring to making a deposit in a safe. Deposit the trust of your soul in the bank of God. And who else would we entrust our souls to but the faithful creator of our souls? Our God is the one who in his might created the universe and in his might can keep your soul safe. God who intelligently designed nature for his purpose designs your sufferings for his purpose as well. He has the strength to keep you and so entrust yourself to him. You wouldn't entrust your soul to those who hate you, would you? So why would you live to please the world? Why would you entrust your soul to them through the act of people-pleasing? The body they may kill, but your soul will be safe if you've entrusted your soul to God through faith in Christ. Notice also that you must entrust your soul to God because your suffering is according to God's will. Again, verse 19. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing God. God wills your suffering as a Christian. No suffering comes your way without the sovereign permission of God. God is the guide of your pain. Your suffering isn't meaningless. It isn't accidental. It isn't haphazard. It has a purpose. So what is the purpose? Well, one purpose of your suffering we've already learned. Our suffering serves to purify our faith by increasing our reliance upon God. And that truth is expanded upon in verse 17, but in a slightly different way. Peter writes, For it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. It's time. This is the time. For judgment to begin at the household of God. Now that word judgment means to render a decision. Render a decision. It's a neutral term. Depending on the context, it means either to judge with condemnation or to judge with commendation. That is, it can either mean to render a judgment like a judge sentences a criminal, or it can mean to render a judgment like a judge awards first place at the dog show. Peter says that judgment begins with the household of God. That is, judgment begins with Christians. Viewed from this perspective, our suffering in the path of obedience to Christ is a kind of judgment from God. What kind of judgment? Well, it's not a judgment of condemnation for wrongdoing because we know in Romans 8.1 there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Rather, it's a decision of God or a judgment of God to purify our faith. Suffering is designed to increase our faith in Him and make us more holy. He disciplines those whom He loves. He also brings suffering into the lives of those whom He loves. And He does this because His judgment of you is already a judgment of approval. And He wants to grow your faith. When you suffer at the hands of the world, 
it is God's judgment of approval of you. And it has another purpose too. Continuing in verses 17 and 18, if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? In other words, your suffering in the path of obedience to Christ is a kind of parable to sinners. If the Lord won't spare His own from suffering, how much greater will be the suffering of those who do not obey the gospel and are punished for their sins? If God's people whom He loves suffer according to His will, what will come of those with whom He is angry? So when we suffer, we must entrust our souls to God because the suffering has these purposes. To purify our faith and act as a witness against unbelievers. Well, in summary, how should we respond when suffering comes our way? We should respond by accepting and expecting suffering. By rejoicing in suffering by evaluating the cause of our suffering and by entrusting our souls to God. As the world changes around us, none of us know what's to come. But the truths in this passage are meant to help us to respond to whatever is to come and to respond with faith. And isn't it interesting that Peter, of all people, would be the one to write, of all things, this passage. He was a man who, when faced with persecution, responded initially by denying Jesus three times. And yet the Lord had said that he prayed for him, that his faith would not fail. And Peter's faith didn't fail. Not ultimately. And the Lord is doing the same for you. We know from Hebrews that Jesus intercedes for you. And so be encouraged that no matter what's to come, no matter what suffering will befall you in the cause of Christ, Christ has already prayed that your faith would be Preserve through it. And so may the Lord use the truths we learned in this passage to encourage you and keep you in the trials to come. Let's pray together. Father, we have entrusted our souls to you. To no other God would we entrust such a valuable possession. Thank you for causing us to come to salvation. What a wonderful gift you supplied us. Even as we now believe in your Son, we know that we owe it all to your Son. Salvation is not a work of our own. It is the free gift of grace. And having given us faith, you will do whatever it takes 
to increase our faith for as many days as we suffer on this earth. We know that faith is a valuable gift. More valuable than life itself. Everyone who's ever lived has lived, but not everyone who's ever lived has had faith in you. It's a precious gift. And so, we thank you, Father, even for our sufferings, even for the trials, knowing that these things worked together for our good and your glory. Help us to suffer well. Help us to suffer righteously and increase our joy in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Treasuring Christ Church in Athens, Georgia. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not alter the content in any way without permission. Treasuring Christ Church exists to spread a passion for the fame of Christ's name in Athens and around the world. We invite you to visit Treasuring Christ Church online at tccathens.org. There you'll find other resources available to you and information about our upcoming gatherings.